Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has now been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and which I, Paul, had become a servant. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that we're together today. Many of us redeemed, many of us forgiven. Many of us repentant. And Father, I recognize there's probably some who aren't. I pray that you would use the teaching of your word today to empower the believers here to serve you more faithfully, love you more wholeheartedly. Father, may you use the teaching today to rattle the cages of those who have yet to repent. May you draw sinners to repentance today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul is doing what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wanted to do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their gospels, what they're doing is they're pushing Jesus to the front of the stage and they're putting the spotlight on him. And that's what Paul's doing in this letter. In this text today, he's pushing Jesus to the front of the stage. And it's like um, my, one of my favorite TV shows is Sanford and Son. I like that one. Um, and if you do you like you like that show? We uh, and Red Fox. What happened in Sanford's when, when the when the show would come on? Now it was filmed before a live studio audience, right? And so what happened as Red Fox would walk out onto the stage or onto the set? What would happen? Do you remember? Yeah, everybody's like they're clapping, right? They're clapping. And uh, because it's, it's filmed before a lot of the audience, but there's the applause which, which began at the end of the days. And it's kind of like that today. Jesus is, is in the stage of this letter, and he should be applauded loudly and continually. He's the ultimate God man who has done for us more than enough. Right? So let's look at verse 15. Paul is going to tell us why Jesus is sufficient, why faith in Christ is sufficient. Look at verse 15. The first thing that we, we, we see here is Jesus is sufficient because he is God, the creator. Look, it says he's the, the, the image of the invisible God. Now, our idea of image involves photographs or memories, right? We have a memory of something. I said, Sanford Son, right? There's an image that came to your mind, right? And that's what we, when we think of images, that's what we think of. But a photograph and a memory is not reality. It only, it only represents the real thing, right? But in Paul's day, and in Greek thought, was that an image shares in reality what it was supposed to be. And so when he says the image of the invisible God, what he's saying is Christ is the, is the manifestation of God himself. He's saying Jesus is the exact likeness of the Father. He's an observable expression of God. He is the essence and form of God 
himself. Now we see there's three Christological um, pieces, if you will, in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 1, John chapter 1, and here in Colossians chapter 1. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he says in the first chapter that Christ is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature. But I think John sums it up best when he tells us that Christ is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus God. And it says that he's the image of, image of the invisible God. Now, invisible God is speaking of the Father. So you have Jesus the Son, and you have God the Father. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, speaking of the Father. Well, why is God invisible? Because he's a spirit, right? Yeah, God is spirit. But even from the beginning, God has been revealing himself, even though he's invisible. Think with me through salvation history for just a moment. How has God been revealing himself? Well, in creation, he revealed himself and showed his power, right? What about in the law of God? Or what about in our own consciences he's given us? We see God's character. Through the choosing of the nation of Israel, the world saw a glimpse of God's glory. If you think about Israel, they would move in and they would wipe out nations, wipe out armies, much more powerful than themselves, right? In fact, Rahab, she feared the Lord. You remember the story of Rahab? She feared the Lord. Why? Because of Israel's victories, because God had given them victory. Through the judges, you know, you remember the story of the book of Judges? We see a glimpse of God's mercy as they had this cyclical pattern of rebellion as they would rebel and then it would God would be merciful and send a judge to, to rescue them. Through the prophets we see a glimpse of God's justice, his judgment. We read through the Old Testament prophets, what would they say? Repent, or you're going to be judged, right? And since the fall, we know that no one's seen God face to face. He's invisible, right? But yet those Israelites who were delivered from Pharaoh and brought out of Egypt, they saw a glimpse of God, didn't they? Those who were fed in the desert, man and quail, they saw a glimpse of the Lord. Those who witnessed Moses' face, you know the story, do you remember the story of Moses when he brought the Ten Commandments down off Mount Sinai and his face was a glow? Yeah. Those people, they saw a glimpse of the Lord. Those who entered the promised land and defeated the Amalekites, they saw a glimpse of God. What about those who were disobedient when God took the northern kingdom into the Assyrians took them into exile and the Babylonians took the southern kingdom into exile? Yeah, they too, they saw a glimpse of God. But now, God who was invisible, and they all saw, we see glimpses of God throughout salvation history. But now, what do we see? We see the God who was invisible can be seen in the invisible person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Another time when Philip, he asked Jesus in, in the Gospel of John, he asked Jesus to show, show us the Father. And, and what was Jesus' response? You remember? He says, Anyone that's seen me has seen the Father. Yeah, because he is the image of the invisible 
Notice the next part of the verse. He's the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, he's not created. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was created. He was a created being. But the next verse refutes that, right? When it says Christ is creator. He's the firstborn of our all creation. This meaning, the meaning here is that Jesus is the, it's like he had the, the rights and the privileges of the firstborn. In the Old Testament, Old Testament culture, the firstborn, they had preeminence, they had authority, they had all the rights. Um, and that's what it means by Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. In fact, in Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, Also I will make him my firstborn, speaking of David, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. The second part of that verse explains the first part. The firstborn had supremacy. Just as the firstborn has the superiority over his siblings, so does Jesus over all of creation. Jesus is the firstborn over creation, and it distances himself from it. He's not a created being. Firstborn means that Jesus is born first, the rest of the time, right? He's eternal, but also in rank. He is the most important. And remember the context of the letter we're studying here. It's Colossians, right? What's the context? The heretics there were saying, Jesus is good, but Jesus is not enough. And what's Paul trying to do here? He's trying to show them Jesus is enough, right? And why can Paul say that Jesus was sufficient? Look at verse 16. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Paul would say Jesus appeared to all that has been made because Jesus is the creator. He's the one who made it all. And notice Paul is everything. Things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So why would, why would the Colossians want to worship angels? Why would they want to worship something created? Why? Why worship something that's created when they can worship the Creator? Right? Why not worship another and follow His teachings when you can worship the one who created them? I mean, in reality, we owe Jesus our very own existence. We owe that. We owe Him that. He's our Creator. It's kind of like this, this story that we all—I mean, that song that we teach our children, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, and he does. And that's who we should worship. He's worthy of that. He's our creator. Notice in verse 16, it ends with, for him. All things created by him and for him. Not only was Christ the instrument of creation, but everything was created to bring him glory. Curtis Ball, he's a, a commentator, he says, he says this, creation is unto Christ in the sense that he is the end for which all things exist. The goal toward whom all things were intended to move. They were meant to serve his will, to contribute to his glory. Their whole being, willingly or unwillingly, moves to him. Whether as blissful servants, they shall be as it were his throne. Or as his stricken enemies, his footstool. So Jesus is, is, is its goal. He is the end. Everything and everyone exists for Him. Everything. All creation is moving toward Him. Either we'll bow before Him or we'll still for Him. But both 
both given glory. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We see a, a good example of scripture interpreting scripture here. That's one of the principles of Bible interpretation. As you read the scriptures, you find different authors or the same author saying the same thing over and over again in different words. Jesus before all things. We see that throughout the New Testament. John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he says, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He also says, before I am, Jesus says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. In the book of Romans, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Jesus before all things. And in him all things hold together. What's that mean? In him all things hold together. It means that he's the cosmic blue that holds all the creation in place. Christ is the center of creation. It's initiator, it's sustainer, it's aim, it's goal. And it's funny, isn't it? Everything that Christ created obeys him, except us. Isn't that interesting? Nature, animals, the universe, everything obeys Christ but us, human beings. Jesus is sufficient because he's God, the creator. That's what Paul is trying to get across to these Colossian believers. Jesus is sufficient because he's God, the creator. Secondly, Jesus is also sufficient because he's head of the church. He's head of the church. Look at verse 18 through 23. Just as the eternal word, Jesus Christ, spoke the creation into existence, the incarnate word, the same Jesus, brought the church into being at the cross. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. See, because of our disobedience, there is a new creation. It's the church. Those who are a new creation in Christ. He's the head of the body. He is the beginning. and implies that Christ is the one in whom the church began. He's the origin of the church. He's the head of the church. His body. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Like verse 15, the firstborn is the one who has superiority over all others. This, of course, is referring to his resurrection. And that may seem somewhat insignificant in the big scheme of things, but it, it's, I think it's of utmost importance. See, Christ has preceded us in the resurrection. He's the firstborn. And because he was the first to be born from the dead, he possesses in himself the new and higher life that his people, by, by virtue of their union with him, now share. Which means what? That we have hope of our own resurrection. We have that hope. In fact, Jesus is the resurrection of life. You remember that from John? Because Jesus was resurrected, he's the firstborn from among the dead. We do have hope in the resurrection. Look at the verse 18. So that he is the head of the body of the church, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This is a purpose clause. What was the purpose of Jesus' resurrection? While he resurrected, that he himself might come to have first place in everything. I mean, if, if being the one who created all isn't enough, he's always been sovereign, right? But Jesus was the only one to rise from the dead. 
never denied meaning. This resurrection is just an exclamation point. He's creator, but yet he's the risen Savior, right? Jesus sufficient because he's God, he's creator. He's the creation's initiator, sustainer, his aim, his goal. He was resurrected, which means he's, he has supremacy above all things, especially the church. But thirdly, Jesus is sufficient because of his work. Look at verse 20 through 23. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Notice the answer there in verse 21. People were alienated. He's speaking to the Colossian believers. Once you were alienated, you were enemies, you were evil. And that's us, right? That's, that's, that's us. I had, a, I had a friend of mine, a guy I grew up with, he called last night, uh, like 2.45 a.m. He called the house, and of course you jump up because you're thinking something's, and as a matter of fact, Jenny, she jumps up, she goes, something's wrong, right? Look at the clock, it's 2.45. And it's, uh, it's a guy, a buddy of mine, I grew up with, and um, we just begin to talk, you know, so he's like, man, I'm so sorry. I know it's a crazy time to be calling. I said, that's okay, you know, kind of waking up. It's okay, what, what's going on? And he just began to share about his uh, life. Um, he began to share about uh, some struggles he had uh, some struggles in his in his family, and struggles in his marriage, struggles with um, all kinds of struggles. Just he was talking about his life, just being uh, a mess. He was talking about the things he had done. He's like, I've done this, I've done that. I was like, Yeah, man, you're right. You've done those things. You know, these, there, there's things that I've done. He said, You know, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can be forgiven. That's what Jesus did on the cross, buddy. His blood was shed, his body was broken for you and for me. He took our place, he took our punishment. He was punished for all those things you've done if you'll just repent. If you just repent. I got a, a text this morning from a, one of my mentors um, told me that a, a relative of, of theirs was incarcerated, facing felony charges. Just, I'll just, just pray, pray for him, pray for him. And from that call last night and then getting that text this morning, it's like, wow, there's a lot of, lot of sin. Just, just sinful people. And you look at this, this text here, alienated from God, enemies, because of your evil behavior. Well, I look at verse, verse 21. Or I'm sorry, verse, um, verse 20. He says, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's reconciled, reconciled to himself all things through his blood. And then verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body for death. So you see, you have this 
mention of the blood of Christ and the body broken. That's Jesus going to the cross, right? That's Jesus dying in our place, taking our punishment, becoming sin for us. Because of that, reconciliation has taken place. There's a change from enmity to friendship. I, when I came back to move back from China, I ran into a friend of mine that we used to play ball together, and I asked him about his family. We hadn't seen each other in 20 years. I would tell him about your family. I, you know, I'd heard from him about him through the years through other people. I said, yeah, I've heard about you. You know, your, your son's playing ball. And I said, well, and I started asking about that. He said, yeah, we're, um, me and this other guy, we're, we're coaching uh, a travel ball team together. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy that he's coaching with, he used to hate. He used to play for a rival uh, uh, school. And I was like, man, you, you, he said, you remember, we just we hated that guy. We hated that guy. And I, and I thought, he said, you know, we hated his guts. You know? And, uh, and I was like, yeah. He said, but you know what, man? He said, right now we're, we're best friends. He said, our kids are growing up together and playing all together. And he said, man, we're best friends now. He said, he said isn't that that's unbelievable it? that we would be best friends. But it made me think about, mm, well, no, because that's the way we all are. We're in unity with God. So it says we're his enemies. We act like his enemies. We are his enemies. But yeah, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we could be his friend. We could be reconciled. We could be reconciled to a holy, perfect God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus is sufficient because he is God. Because he's creator. Everything is created, created for him. He's sufficient because he's the head of the church. He rose from the dead and proved himself to be sovereign over all. He's sufficient because of his work on the cross. And because of that, sinners can be reconciled to a holy God. Notice what it says there. And this buddy of mine was talking about all the things he'd done, and all the things he'd done, all the garbage in his life. It was timely that I stood in this text. Look at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. It's amazing isn't it? that we who were in enmity with God, rebellious against God, we were his enemies, but we can be presented, we can we can stand for the Lord without blemish, holy in his sight, because of Christ's work. Christ is sufficient. He's telling the Paul is telling Colossians, you don't need anything else. All you need is Jesus. He is enough. He's creator, he's head of the church, he's the Savior. What do we do by way of application? I think one thing we should do is just let's just try to see Jesus afresh and anew for who he is. And just be in awe of Jesus. Be in awe of Jesus. And who he is and, and what he's done for us. And the second thing is 
If we are all created by Christ and for Christ, then where should we go to find meaning and purpose in our lives? Should we go to anything else? Should we go to our, our jobs, other relationships? Where should we go to find meaning and purpose in our lives? I think we need to share the gospel. This gospel, verse 23, talks about the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you've heard and that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, in which I, Paul, have become a servant. That we need to share the gospel. I'm going to show a, a video real quick. This is a, um, a video of a. Uh, Friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine. That's what we just do with this text. We should go out and proclaim how good Jesus is. You have friends, you have neighbors, you may have family members that love Jesus. Tell them again how good Jesus is. Tell them who Jesus is again. 
Jesus is their hope, their only hope. But aren't you thankful we have hope? Let's pray together. We're not going to have an invitation today. We're just going to have a prayer time. Think about Jesus. Paul just paints a picture. He pushes Jesus to the front of the stage and he puts a spotlight on him. He says, This Jesus is sufficient. Is Jesus sufficient for you? He was fighting a heresy in, in Colossae, trying to teach these brothers, remind these brothers and sisters that Jesus is enough. Don't listen to the heretics. You don't have to do anything. All you need to do is trust Jesus. Jesus is enough. What about in your own life? Jesus sufficient? Have you repented of your sins? Have you, because of the blood that was shed and Jesus' body that was broken, have you been changed by the resurrected Jesus? Can you say, I'm, I'm a friend of God because of what Jesus has done for me? Or are you still at enmity with him? Are you still his enemy? And right now, if, you, if, you're, if you're saying, if you're in your mind, if you know I'm God's enemy, you know, just like, just like John Boy, just like Mr. John, all you have to do is repent, turn from your sin, and trust that Jesus did die for you, that he did take your punishment, that he did rise on the third day, and the Bible says that you'll be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you don't know the Lord, I encourage you to repent today. Jesus is sufficient for you. Believer, if you're a believer, you say, I'm, I'm not in unity with God. By the grace of God, because of Jesus' work, I'm a friend of God. I've been reconciled to a holy, righteous God. I want to encourage you this week. Go back to and read this text. Let's see Jesus afresh and anew. Let's see him for who he is. He's the God, the creator of the universe. Everything was created by him and for him. He's the head of the church. He's the one who's reconciled sinners to himself. Let's see him afresh and anew. And believer, let's tell somebody the gospel this week. Let's just remind people how good Jesus is. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you inspired Paul to write this letter and paint this beautiful picture of Jesus. We're thankful that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. We're thankful for all the, the so many testimonies in this room of how you reconciled us. Lord, we were enmity with you. You brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love. Not because we're good, not because we're worthy, but because you're good. We're thankful. But I pray if there's believers here and they're 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 not burdened for lost people. God, give them a burden for lost people. 
Give us opportunities this week to share the good news of Jesus with the lost and dying world. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together. It is good in your house. Send us out of power. Send the lost out convicted. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.